Housing News listeners. This is Clayton Collins. I'm the CEO at Housing Wire. And this week, I'm thrilled to bring you the 12th episode of the first season of the Housing News Podcast. Now, if you've been listening along this season, you're starting to figure out the format. Every week, we invite a different lending or real estate executive on the show to share their story, to learn about their career path and their business, and then add some insight and context to some of the top stories and articles coming across the Housing Wire news desk in that given week. This week, we have an incredibly impressive guest. He's one of the leaders in providing home financing contracts to Muslim American home buyers, and it's a really interesting story. And business. But before we jump in and introduce our guest, I want to give a big thank you to our sponsor. Blend is a digital mortgage platform that streamlines the loan process with an efficient, secure, and transparent customer experience. Blend powers both industry-leading teams at some of the nation's largest lenders, as well as regionally focused credit unions and community banks. With over $1 billion in loans processed daily, every Blend partnership is benchmarked on delivering a truly exceptional customer experience. To learn more about Blend, visit blend.com. Now for today's show, I want to give a big warm welcome to Cal El Sayed, the CEO of Guidance Residential. Cal, welcome to the Housing News Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And for our listeners who, who don't know you, Cal, uh, I want to introduce you as the, the CEO that is running the, the leading Islamic home finance firm. And uh, you're doing a lot of work focusing on some of the underserved communities in the, in the Muslim faith and, and have, a, have a unique financing value proposition. So uh, before, we, before we jump into your background, can you give us kind of the quick elevator pitch on, on Guidance Residential? Yes, um, Guidance Residential is a faith-based uh, mortgage originations uh, organization. Uh, we do about $700 million a year. And uh, as you said, we serve an underserved community uh, where uh, financing and the way that the financing is done is paramount to their faith. And so uh, we provide a product that complies with it. And um, it's a beautiful niche um, and I'm very successful in it. That's awesome. Well, th thanks for that overview. And Cal, I, I know from past conversations with you that you have a, a, a very long and impressive career in the, in the housing economy. Uh, so I'd love to hear your, your background and, and how did you get started in the, in the mortgage and real estate world and, and kind of your, your path uh, that led you to Guidance Residential? Okay, well, uh, prepare for a smile, I hope. Um, <laughs> the, way that, <laughs> the way that I started in the mortgage industry was uh, uh, the, the, the utter failure of uh, becoming an engineer. So um, I uh, went to school and I was trying to become an engineer and I didn't have an engineering bone in my body. But what I did uh, um, arrive at is that I liked math and I liked people. And I thought, how can I put those two together? And it was essentially the mortgage business, and that's how I ended up in the mortgage business. So was that the was that a, a job opportunity coming out of school, coming out of your engineering program? Like, what was that? What was the first door that opened for you to introduce you to the world of home finance? Well, I'm going to date myself by sharing that, but there was <laughs> a time when we had thrift and loans in the in the United States, uh, and I know that you know that the whole thrift and loan debacle. Uh, but I started with a thrift and loan, and um, it was a management opportunity to uh, be in the industry uh, with the thrift and loan organization. I learned the business from the ground up. The business is highly specialized now, but during that time, you really did everything. You did the, the origination, the uh, collection, the processing, everything from soup to nuts. 
Really interesting. And so did that, did that experience with the, the thrift lead, lead you to guidance? I'm, I'm imagining there was a stop or two in between. Well, in between, of course, the, the, the business evolved from certain loans to kind of boutique lending, if you would. And the um, idea of equity financing arose uh, where people that were underserved, once again, who couldn't get a mortgage with a bank, went to either thrift and loans or financiers that did lending based on equity. And, uh, and that gave rise to the subprime industry. And that's really where I kind of grew and uh, my, my executive career took off during that era. Nice. So what, what was the kind of initial year when you began the, uh, the, the subprime focus and, and how did that kind of evolve and, and where did that lead you to? Um, well, the subprime industry basically started around, you know, 98, 1998 or so. Um, and then I joined a, a small organization that was a, a startup and it was called New Century Mortgage. Um, I was the first, um, well, I, I should say the second salesperson that had joined that organization. And it was a group of seven people who had high aspirations of building, um, you know, a superior organization. And, uh, you know, several years later, nine years later, it was the number one uh, uh, organization for subprime lending in the nation. And I was be, um, I became the president of that organization. Okay, so you, you rode the New Century wave and, uh, and kind of as, as New Century, uh, that, that story came to an end, what, what, were you, what were you thinking about? How were you kind of uh, planning for the, the next leg of your mortgage career? Well, the irony is I actually left New Century before the market collapsed, and it was to, to start a, my own organization, which I managed to do. Um, but as things got very difficult in the marketplace, I diversed myself of that organization, and I took some time off. And at that, at that moment in time, I was approached by a former colleague to head Guidance Residential. I was living on the West Coast. I was living in uh, Orange County, California. And I had to move to the Washington, D.C. area. So um, I took on a new challenge across uh, the continent. So was the, the, the opportunity with guidance. Now, I, I understand that the, the, the lending model has, a, has some, some stark differences to, the, to the, the typical American mortgage. And I'm really interested to learn more about, about the product that you, you serve your clients with at Guidance. And, uh, and, and kind of your, as you entered on day one, were you familiar with the, the lending to the Muslim faith? And, and, and how, did that, um, how did your kind of learning curve evolve as you got started to Guidance? So the, the most interesting thing in that area is that the, uh, um, uh, all three monotheistic faiths have a prohibition on usury, which is interest. Uh, so uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all have the same uh, prohibition on usury. It's just that over time, uh, um, modifications were introduced in, into the financial system you know, what used to govern all financial transactions, which was divine, uh, divine law going back in time, uh, the modifications were accepted by the other faiths, but uh, Muslims still refrained from it. So those, those prohibitions still exist in, in, in um, the Bible and the Torah and, and the Quran, but only Muslims really seem to care about it. So 
when we say it's really faith-based, it's all faiths. It's just that one group cares about it the most. So uh, at the end of the day, though, it ends up being a consumer-friendly product. So I can oversimplify all of this prohibition by explaining that it's a, it's a consumer-friendly product. Uh, for example, late payment fees are, we don't charge late payment fees, right? There, there's an assessment of what administrative fees might cost, and that's usually around $50. We don't compound, uh, you know, there are always penalties assessed and rates may rise if you are in default. And, and of course, for us, that's the time that people need help, not, uh, you don't compound their troubles by uh, adding interest in Pelletio. So we are not allowed to do that. So at the end, it just becomes a very consumer-friendly product, especially during times of hardship. Okay, so what does that mean for the, 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 the servicing and secondary market side of the, of the mortgage process? Is, this a, is, it a, is it a saleable loan? Are you guys servicing? Um, what's what's the, the rest of the path? Yeah, the, the, uh, the product itself functions very similar to a mortgage. There's just the documentation is slightly different. Uh, some of the language within the documentation is slightly different. Um, the, um, uh, the, the product itself goes into a regular security, but we can't put more than 5% of our product in any single security, but it is, um, it is on the back end treated the same. Uh, now we work closely with our servicers, subservicing uh, is, is something that we uh, embark on, and we work closely to, to make sure that we train uh, you know, those associates on the servicing side uh, to, uh, to educate them on the difference between our product and a conventional product and where those differences lie. In, in, on the servicing side, what are some of the, what are some of the bigger differences? I know you mentioned, um, I know you mentioned penalties and, and compounding. Like what does a servicer have to do differently uh, to effectively service your product? Well, I mean, sometimes in the interaction with the consumer, uh, you know, one has to avoid uh, talking about things that don't exist. So if interest, you know, if, if your structure is based on um, a, a rental and profit sharing or, I mean, uh, profit charging a profit for uh, the, the uh, portion of the house that you don't own, you see it's a co-ownership structure. So the consumer owns a portion of the house and pays rent for the portion they don't own. So those are things that are very different than a conventional mortgage. So the servicer has to be educated on what those differences are and what is the label for uh, the profit portion, how it's derived, how it's amortized. Uh, it's not really too hard, but it does take time to train. And so with a, with a portion that's owned and a portion that's rent, rented, is that, is that result in two separate uh, payments each month or is that, is that more on the structure on the, on the back end of the product? Um, and I, I'm, Assuming if somebody's making one component of that payment, they're making uh, the other one as well. Is that is that a complication? No, no. It's it's made the same way that you would make your conventional payment. It's just that one uh, one portion it just it amortizes exactly the same as a conventional mortgage, uh, but but the categories or the buckets are different. Uh, but the amortization to the lay person, it works and functions exactly as a mortgage does. It's just in the structuring behind the scenes. It complies with uh, the components that are necessary uh, to be a faith-based product. 
Okay. All right. Great. So I, I know Cal, in a previous interview with Housing Wire, you'd mentioned that, that you're serving an underserved community and it's primarily an arena where 98% of home financing op opportunities are off limits. I'd love to learn more about your consumer, kind of some of the, the, their profile in terms of their, uh, if they're first, first time home buyers, repeat home buyers, um, and kind of more about the consumer that you serve. So uh, when when we talk about 98%, we are really saying that 98% of the market doesn't necessarily care about this sort of structure. Only one or two percent of that market, of the overall market, well, may be interested in our product. So so it's a very small segment of society that we have to um, appeal to, right, or at least market to. And so that segment of the population is today on the much younger side, right? So there's much more millennials involved in this process than there used to be. So a few years ago, uh, it was you know essentially uh, baby boomers that were buying our product. Today, um, there's a mixture of you know millennials and uh, 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 baby boomers, and so we are seeing a lot of first-time home buyers, and we're very excited about that because it's the number one way to create wealth, and so we have to be. Uh, a little bit more uh, hands-on, and 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 that of course comes across as the majority of our business being in purchase. Uh, we, we talked today about you know the split between purchase and refinance. I think you know maybe 50/50 or 60/40, depending on which organization you are. But for us, 90% of our business is purchase business, so it, it's kind of something that we're squarely in the center of. We'd love to see more refinance, but our consumer behaves differently. They tend to want to pay off their mortgage faster. Uh, they don't want to use it as a credit line or a line of credit. So uh, they don't go to their home for access to credit or access to cash. They don't take cash out. They really want to pay it off early. They don't want to reset their mortgage for another 30 years. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of our market and our customer. Really interesting. So that's like, so it's a, a more conservative customer profile, but you're, you still have a pretty uh, high number of first time home buyers and millennials, which, which seems like kind of in line with the, the, what the rest of the mortgage industry is seeing right now. Yeah. And I have a feeling that has a lot to do with the conservative nature of their parents. So they're likely not to have as much student debt as, uh, you know, the average consumer might. So therefore they may be able to um, you know, afford the down payment necessary to, to get into a home, or perhaps they're getting help from their parents to get that down payment together. Uh, and then, of course, they behave like their parents, again, being conservative, not looking to, uh, you know, use their, their home for credit, etc. Yeah, that's really interesting. That kind of bridges us well to, to one of the articles that was really popular on, on Housing Wire this week and by our, our reporter, Alcena Lloyd, uh, about millennials want to, stay, want to buy homes, but their wallets are saying no. And that the uh, Realtor.com and National Association of Realtors are seeing that uh, over 40% of uh, spring springtime home shoppers were first-time home buyers, but their the the purchase is being uh, delayed by home buyers who can't find entry-level supply um, or other affordability pressures like like student loans or or other debt is, is holding them back from from making that first-time uh, first-time home purchase. 
I know that you are, are just coming out of a, uh, a week of meetings with your, with your regional leaders and, uh, and your loan origination teams. I'm really interested to hear what, what you're hearing from your origination team on are, are they are they seeing a steady influx of first-time home buyers and and what are the what are the hurdles for those home buyers getting into the market? So um, I mean we are we are seeing a definite increase in our business and we're seeing that our name uh, to the day brand has power and we've got a very strong brand in this uh, space. It's a small space, but our brand resonates. It, it, it has it's synonymous with authenticity. And again, today's millennials are, um, you know, they're, they're very smart, they're well-educated, uh, they're really into, you know, uh, uh, green lending, if you would, everything has to be authentic. If you're selling a faith-based product, you better be the real deal, otherwise, you know, uh, it's going to work against you. So our brand is really strong and, and resonates really well with them, and they come to us for that authenticity because that's what they're looking for. Now... Um, for the future, when I look down uh, the road and, and uh, my colleagues and I are always talking about how it's really important for us to live into the future, not necessarily as much in the present, because a lot of people are tending to the present and, uh, and that's all well, but what does the future look like? And I, I believe that there is a bit of a challenge for millennials. I think that we use the same toolbox to solve uh, the problems of, you know, we've, the mortgage industry has always used the same toolbox. We lower rates, we loosen guidelines, um, we take less down payment, essentially take on more risk so we can put people in homes. But that risk comes back to haunt us at some point down the line. It's almost like kicking the can. I think we need different solutions this time. So therefore, we have to expand our toolbox. It can't be um, that we use everything to solve all the problems, right? Today's problems, especially with the student debt, is different, and we have to use a different approach. I really like you brought up brand and authenticity, and we've talked about that quite a bit on, on this podcast, and as well as at the, the conference that Housing Wire hosted in June. And one thing I'm hearing from, from lenders is brand is a major objective for, for everybody right now. Uh, but most lenders are, are focused on a, a much broader swath of the prospective home buyer or homeowner market and trying to re, uh, trying to achieve a hundred percent brand recall uh, across the country and, and 30 States or 50 States or no matter, depending on where they're, um, where they're located. But with, with guidance, you're serving one or 2% of the, of the market. What is, what is your strategy for achieving that brand and, and, and being a, a known and, and trusted partner to the, to the consumer that you serve? So um, the customer experience is central to our strategy. I, I, I don't, it doesn't matter how, uh, uh, how much of a distinction you're making in, in your product, right? So you've got a great product, it's authentic, all that as well. But if you don't leave the customer with a great experience having him come back and having him refer to you future business, that's going to be problematic in the long run. So we're incredibly focused on the customer experience. We measure our experiences with the customer across the nation by region, by salesperson. Um, and, and not only that, technology, I think, you know, 
you, you guys are always talking about technology as well. I mean, technology is a game changer, and, and it's such a game changer that if you're not well down that road, it's going to be very problematic for your organization. And I, and I do see that a lot of organizations are still hoping that someday we wake up and it's yesteryear and everything is the same or something along those lines. Technology has changed the world forever. Amazon has changed the world forever. Everybody is looking for an Amazon experience. Click a button and the mortgage is there. Somebody's going to drop them the keys with a drone or something like that. So we're focused on those two things, customer experience and technology. And so with customer experience and technology, I'm, I'm guessing that referral is a really big part of this business. And are you seeing, uh, is it the consumer referral, which is most powerful? Or do you find your, your team working with referral partners or realtor partners that, that have specialties in, in the Muslim community or faith-based communities? Um, and I, I'm guessing that technology experience and that, that customer experience is not just for the homeowner, but something that probably uh, aids your referral from, referrals from uh, uh, other centers of influence. So if, if I can explain it this way, first of all, centers of influence are important in, in, in every business. And in the mortgage business, realtors are also important. So that, those are things that people uh, know well enough. And, and so we have an effort, a concerted effort in those, uh, in those areas. Uh, now, you know, with respect to technology, uh, if you're a first time home, home buyer, and I don't know if you remember when you bought your first home, um, and, and certainly it applies to millennials more so today, but there were so many things in the home that you didn't know how to fix. You didn't know where to go and, and start, right? So, you know, similarly, the mortgage experience is complex. I mean, the longer you're in it, the more you take it for granted. But when you're looking at it from the eyes of a young millennial uh, uh, who doesn't know how to maneuver through this complex process, I think you have to really think it through that way. They don't know all of third-party vendors that are involved. Uh, they generally don't understand why it takes so long because when they click a button, Amazon delivers whatever they want, right? That's not the mortgage business. <laughs> That's not the way it is today anyways, right? So um, the customer experience comes in really handy. So you, you have to make sure that you're holding that customer's hand from the beginning of the process to the end of the process and along the way communicating and, and communicating in several ways on a platform that they like and prefer uh, and, so, and, and information at their fingertips. You can't just, you know, they want a 24-7 experience like they get with everyone else now. And at, at Guidance, what is that? What does that handholding look like? And I, and I, I think our audience would probably benefit from better understanding your your model. And are are your consumers uh, working with your originators um, across the desk and branches? It's primarily a, a, a digital delivery model. Um, how, how are consumers accessing information in your origination teams? So we we have what we, we call a high touch high-tech approach. So we have offices around the country um, and those offices are manned with people. So we have boots on the ground as I call it. But then we also put a lot of technology in, in the hands of our sales uh, associates and that, that information flows back and forth between the field offices and the corporate office. So our processing is centralized but 
the, the person in, in a remote office somewhere needs information. So that information is readily available to them on their iPads, their phones, their computer desktops. And then, of course, the customer along the way is also, uh, I know it sounds, I mean, I know it sounds basic now, but there was a time when this was revolutionary. Uh, so the customer gets updates along the way, uh, customers engaged along the process. Uh, they, you know, they get texts every time a file moves from one stage to the next stage. Uh, and we just keep them engaged and understanding the entire process because they don't know what's next. And a lot of times that anxiety arises when you don't know what's happening next. I mean, you know, it used to be that somebody uh, in the industry would take an application and 45 days later they call you up and they say, hey, uh, you ready to close Friday? And in between, there wasn't much communication. And that's not the way it is today. Uh, with a name like Guidance, I would I would expect that uh, there there actually is a little more communication than um, yeah, just, yeah. Hey, we're, we're closing next week. <laughs> you gotta live up to your namesake, right? <laughs> you, you you set a high bar for yourself. Your your consumers are expecting guidance every step of the way. <laughs> So, so Cal, earlier you mentioned that your your consumer is uh, kind of tends to be more on the conservative side and, and isn't leveraging their their home for um, for renovations or, or to pull equity out. Uh, but an, another story that our our team published this week, um, and actually in in anticipation of the uh, FOMC's uh, meeting that's happening uh, today and tomorrow. And th this podcast will come out on, on Wednesday of this week, which will be kind of right about the time that we expect to hear if the Federal Reserve will be, uh, again, uh, lowering the, the benchmark rate. And, uh, and some smart economists, uh, smarter than I, are, are projecting and anticipating that the, the Fed will cut rates. And, um, and as, a, as a mortgage lender, I'm, I get the impact of that, but what I'm interested in is how are you thinking about rate cuts? What does that mean for, for your business, especially in a business where you have a, a significantly higher percent purchase than, than refi and significantly higher than kind of really many players in the industry have in terms of origination mix? Yeah, so for us, especially with first-time home buyers, uh, a reduction in the rate is just going to put that many more people uh, within grasps of a, a mortgage and uh, a home of their dream. And believe it or not, we're also reading that you know housing uh, price of homes are going to be either stabilizing or going down a little bit, and that matters in certain markets like it. You know, in Seattle, Washington, and uh, in, in, in Los Angeles and Orange County, some of the higher uh, uh, prices, uh, when they adjust down, it, it makes, it makes a, a affordability a little bit more of a reality for our customer base. So we welcome that opportunity. We see that as an opportunity to grow our business. And, and as I said, on the flip side, uh, we just think that there's going to be an adjustment to our mortgage servicing lives, but that's something that... You just live with it's part of life it's part of the mortgage business and, and if you have a big portfolio like we do that happens and do you think in a in a a low rate environment even for a conservative homeowner there is the, the potential to be thinking about like well i don't want to ex i don't want to extend my loan to 30 years but but maybe a refining into a 15 is a uh, is appropriate is that, is that something that your consumers are, are thinking about or just kind of Re refi is not is not for your is not for your business. 
No, no, we actually, that, that is exactly the proposition that our consumers would welcome, all right? When you're going to them and you're saying, hey, I'm going to refinance you, and your mortgage uh, is going to go up by $100 a month, but instead of 30 years, you're going to have a 15-year. That actually is appealing. Right, so um, so that's that's something that we're doing in in um, in our uh, group and with our uh, customers, and we're seeing you know a lot of uh, receptiveness to it. All right, excellent. Well, it sounds like that uh, was it. Was that something that your 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 team is hitting the phones on right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, I mean, Rifat is uh, our, our marketing department is uh, knee deep and and engaged in this initiative and has been for some time now. So it's interesting, I don't know, they may have told you and that's why you were mentioning it. <laughs> no, no, this is, uh, this is, this is wa watching the news and trying to figure out how it impacts, uh, impacts lenders and uh, the, the exact reason we- Yeah, we, yeah, no, we, we thought that, that finally, maybe, we, maybe this will give us a chance to do some more refinance business. <laughs> well, 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 perfect. Uh, well, well, Cal, I think we, we've hit a lot today and it's been really interesting to, to learn about your background and, and, and tie it into some of the top stories that are happening in the housing economy this week around millennial and first-time home ownership and, uh, and, and rising rates. Um, but before we wrap up, I, I had one question for you and uh, I don't know if our, our whole audience uh, will, will knows this, but you were recognized in 2018 as a, a housing wire vanguard. And one of the things that really stuck out to me about your the, the profile that our editorial team uh, wrote up on you in, in December 2018 was a, a, the best advice you've ever received. And the, the quote that you used was, don't ever settle for good. Good is the enemy of great. And I'm really interested to to, to know more about that advice and, and how, how it's impacted your career leading up to guidance and your, and your time at guidance. I'm, um, I, I think it's a, an excellent quote and didn't want to let it go unsaid. So I want to caution your listeners to be cautious uh, because it could drive people crazy. I certainly <laughs> drive, <laughs> I certainly drive my colleagues crazy sometimes. Uh, but in, in, in the end, we're all happier with the finished product. Uh, I, I've always believed that. I mean, when you, when you begin to settle, uh, we all strive for perfection, but we're never going to be perfect. But if you stop striving for it and you begin to accept things that are less than worthy of your work, uh, then, then all of a sudden it's easy to make the next compromise and then the next compromise. And before you know it, you know, you're just trying to get through the day. There's nothing – you lose a little bit of the passion. So um, I, I, I live by it. I can't live any other way. And while we don't achieve perfection a lot of the times, we pursue it all the time. That's excellent. Love it. Cal, thank you very much for your time today. A big thank you to our producer, uh, Alcina Lloyd, and our sponsor, Blend. If you'd like to learn more about Blend, visit blend.com. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening today. We will see you next week.